When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. LaFleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into LeMaire back to LaFleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la mauvaise. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Wednesday, November 29th. How is everyone doing? The Montreal Canadiens win by a score of two, by a score of four to two in Columbus. Score of two. Score of four to two in Columbus. So the five game road trip is now officially over, and the Montreal Canadiens win three out of five. They won in Anaheim. They won in San Jose, and they won in Columbus. They lost versus Boston, and they lost versus Los Angeles. I guess you can say that logic prevailed. I mean, when you took a look at the five games, you probably said, well, the winnable games are Anaheim, San Jose, and Columbus. But at the same time, you had to wonder, okay, they're the winnable games, but are the Montreal Canadiens going to end up winning those three games? Are they going to drop a game or two? Now, they could have easily, they could have gone either way. I mean, this one here, you're tied at one point by a score of 2-2, and the Canadians end up scoring the next two and win the game by a score of 4-2. The game versus Anaheim, they're down. They clutch and claw their way back into the hockey game. The game versus San Jose, they end up winning that one by one. The game versus San Jose, they end up winning that one uh, in, a, in a shootout the way they did. So, look, they were close games, but the Montreal Canadiens were able to win Three out of five. Isn't that good news? All depending on which way you're looking at it, of course, because if you're Tony Marinero and you're always thinking rebuild, 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 and the rebuild is going to take a while, at that time, you want to drop points uh, because you want to have 
the best shot at the best possible draft pick. But I have to tell you, and Craig Button of TSN, Director of Scouting, is going to join us in a couple of minutes. This was a game where all of a sudden you start to see the light. Everything the Canadians have been talking about, Marty St. Louis, Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon, especially St. Louis, in terms of developing hockey players and the concepts, and it's going to take a while, but when they're going to get it, teaching them one step at a time and teaching them, you know, Yuri Slavkowski, I don't know about you, I thought he looked really, really comfortable tonight, really comfortable, to a point where, and especially comfortable with Caulfield, to a point where, in period number two and period number three, because it was a tough period, period number one for the Canadians, even though no goals were scored, the Canadians were a giveaway machine in period number one. They gave away the puck a lot. Luckily, it wasn't able to, uh, you know, Columbus wasn't able to find the net, but the Canadians were a turnover machine. And at the end of the game, they talked about making some adjustments after period number one, and they made them because, Period number two, you saw the Canadians come on. You saw the Canadians have a lot of sustained pressure in the offensive zone. At one point, Slavkowski and, and Caulfield were passing the puck around, and Columbus was, like, mesmerized. They were just looking at them, and they couldn't touch the puck. And Slavkowski was making right decision after right decision after right decision. You know, up until, I would say, three weeks ago, maybe four, the game seemed fast for Slavkowski. It looked like everything was going too fast. He was panicking with the puck. At one point, he was making, he was changing his mind at the very last second. And you were saying, you know what? It needs to slow down for him. It's too fast here. And I talked about sending him down to Laval if it wasn't going to turn around on a line with Suzuki and Caulfield. Well, they took him off the line with Suzuki and Caulfield, but put him on a line with Caulfield and Dvorak. And I have to tell you, the way he's protecting the puck lately the way he's making sound decisions, the way he's playing the cycle, the way he's got his head up and taking information, the way he's passing the puck, the way he's passing the puck in high percentage passes, not making dangerous passes. I have to tell you, it is very, very encouraging what we're seeing from Uri Slavkowski, especially in the last couple of weeks. And if we were all over him because at times it didn't look encouraging. Well, fair is fair. And to be fair, you have to say that right now, what the Canadians have told us that they wanted to accomplish with Slavkowski, it looks like they're pulling it off. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be another setback in a week or two or three, because of course he is 19 years old and this is the best hockey league in the world. But right now we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. At least I know I am. And I got to tell you, Dvorak, even though everyone asks, well, I'd rather have Suzuki on that line or I'd rather have him on it, doesn't look out of place Dvorak on that line. He doesn't. Doesn't look out of place. So Canadians got some big performances tonight. We're going to get to all of them. And once again, the SICK Podcast is brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group. Energy Transportation Group, recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies. The country's leading business award, by the way, is what it is. It recognizes innovative and world-class companies like Energy Transportation Group. The best managed Canadian companies designation fuels energy's purpose for creating progress for their customers, their employees, and their communities. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. I hear it's a great place to work. Also brought to you in part by... The Sick Podcast by La Bit Atibi, Brut in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. 
Um, they used to be brewed in Abitibi, but now they're brewed in Quebec. More precisely, brewed in Laval. Labitatibi offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Labitatibi, embrace your true nature. And also brought to you in part by Playground. Experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables. A bad beat jackpot that is already over $700,000 after the world record-setting amount of $2,590,000 was won back on August the 2nd. Weekly promotions, daily tournaments, unmatched customer service. Why? Play anywhere else. I, I That's what I say to my buddies. Why play anywhere else? Why? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Why Why play anywhere else? Why? You know that if you're playing the slots, and you could be playing the 25-cent slots, and you order a drink at Playground, they'll bring you the drink. So could you just imagine the amount of people that go, spend two or three hours playing 25-cent slots, and end up having 20 drinks. A pretty good bang for your buck, don't you think? And by the way, uh, on Friday, they have um, they have uh, a special um, ice cream night, and on Saturdays, it's a special buffet uh, in terms of sweet table. That is sweet table buffet. So at around 10 p.m. at night, they bring out the sweets, and uh, you can indulge. Anyway, uh, that's it for that. We're gonna have a good one tonight because once again, uh, Craig Button is gonna join us. I'm uh, waiting to get the thumbs up from uh, Shane Gaumont and Master Control who is filling in tonight because the Cavalaros are under the weather. So I wish them uh, the very best. They are um, uh, sneezing and uh, they are under covers right now and they are a little feverish. So uh, I wish them the very best. All right. Okay. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about because tonight was a game. Why don't we do this Shane Gomo at master control? If you can, Bring up the summary of period number two and then bring up the summary of period number three and the game. There you have it. Second period, Patrick Liney unassisted. He gets a pass. He goes in all alone and just beats Samuel Montembeau, who, by the way, had a good night. We'll talk about Montembeau's night in a second. Newhook is um, sent in alone. He hits the post, and then the puck goes to um, Suzuki, who goes to pass to Gouli, who takes a shot, and it lands right on Newhook's stick, and boom, he's able to rifle it home, so he ties it at one. And then Chinnikov, uh gets a goal to make it 2-1 for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Cole Caulfield ties it up. Cole Caulfield, I saw this on RDS, so this is courtesy of RDS. Let's bring it up. Cole Caulfield tonight scored his 60th goal in a Montreal Canadiens uniform, and he did it in less than 150 games. It took him 145 games to do so. Folks, this doesn't mean that he's legit. And it doesn't mean that he's a slam dunk. And it doesn't guarantee that he's going to score 50 goals. But you have to admit, when you start asking, do the Montreal Canadiens have any top-line players going forward, you have to admit that this is a pretty encouraging statistic when you think of all the superstars and all the goal scorers who have played for the Montreal Canadiens. Cole Caulfield is number five in the history of the Montreal Canadiens to score his first 60 goals in the least amount of games possible. Number five, Marenz, 74, the Rocket, 83. Beliveau, 132. Joe Benoit, 135. Cole Caulfield, 145. That's a pretty nice stat. 
on to period number three. And Caulfield, you just see, like, he's just there, right place, right time. A puck just lays there. And before anyone could get a stick on it, he's able to put it in. And then we have period number three we're going to bring up. Craig Button will join us in 30 seconds time, by the way. We have the summary for period number three. It looks like we don't have the summary for period number three just yet. Not sure I know why, but I'm going to tell you this, that uh, in period number three, it was Armia with two minutes and 57 seconds to go in regulation who redirects a blast from Michael Matheson, which ends up being the game-winning goal, and then Gustav Lindstrom with uh, 57 seconds left in regulation. He ends up scoring in an empty net. Shots are 32-28 for the Montreal Canadiens. And once again, pretty good performance by Samuel Montambo, who with the Canadians trailing by a score of 2-1, to one, makes a real big stop. And then the Canadians come back and they score, Caulfield does, to tie it up. By the way, this game tonight, three members of the Edmonton Oilers uh, scouting department management team in attendance on Press Box Row. Craig Button of TSN, how are you? I am good. Sorry for being a little bit late. I'm in Winnipeg and uh, getting prepared for the uh, broadcast on Thursday night with the Oilers in town. Oilers in yes. town in Winnipeg. So we we're just having a little uh, uh, meeting uh, about the game, just trying to go through the uh, pregame and uh, and trying to get it's ready all for good, that. So I apologize, I apologize for no. being a little bit late. Watch yeah. the game. Like I was trying to manage. I was trying to manage. You know, watching the game, they get into the meeting, and then, you know, I'm trying to, like, I'm getting a little antsy, and that's okay. So I appreciate your patience. You can have no, me as long no. as you want. You have uh, me as long no, as you no. want. All right. We're, no, going, no. we're going to midnight, and you know what happens? Like, maybe we'll go to 2 in the morning, and then we can go to the main. We can go to the Montreal pool room on the main. How's that no, sound? I, I don't <laughs> think we're going to go that late tonight. But listen, no need to apologize whatsoever. I've told you this before. For me, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on. And if you would give me one minute, I would take it any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Okay. Um, look, I, I don't know if the Canadians want to trade Montembeau. We're hearing that they want to sign him for a team that's rebuilding a guy from here. He's the second youngest goalie of the three that they have. It makes sense. But either way, you got to be happy that Montembeau played the way he played in front of uh, three Edmonton Order scouts. I mean, it can't hurt. Well, you know, so it's we talk about uh, – Samuel Montembeau playing so well in front of Edmonton Oilers scouts. I I think for Samuel, it's not about him playing well for somebody else. It's playing well for him and his team. It's about delivering for his team. And 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 you think about Samuel coming to the Montreal Canadiens. You know, he was a third round draft pick to the Florida Panthers. He ends up in Montreal. Obviously, a team that's near and dear to him. But he he has continuously shown that he is more than a capable starting goaltender. Now, as time goes on, can, can he be a 50-game a, a season goaltender? He, he won a gold medal. He was a big part of the gold medal winning team for Team Canada last year at the World Championships. So this is somebody that continues to build his game, continues to build his resume. So I, I'm going to state this before you even ask me. Why wouldn't teams around the NHL be interested? I don't care if there's three Edmonton Oilers scouts in the stands. What about the Buffalo Sabres? Shouldn't they be interested in Samuel Montembeau? What about the New Jersey Devils who have who have designs 
on going deeper into the playoffs. Why wouldn't they be? Like, don't limit yourself, and Kent Hughes will not be limiting himself to just the Edmonton Oilers. He will be considering other teams, and I'm not suggesting he's trading Samuel Montembeau, but if you're serious about strengthening your goaltending, you better be interested in Samuel Montembeau. And there's, I, I talked about Jake Allen. Jake Allen would be a great fit in Buffalo. He'd be a great fit in Edmonton. All I know is this, and I do know this, Kent Hughes, is uh, he's got his hands on the, on the controls. And when you have good players playing really well that are coveted by other teams, you're in a great spot. And, and Kent Hughes, like every other general manager in the league, he ain't interested in helping them. He's interested in doing what will help him and the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Craig, I don't know if you caught this, but I'll bring it up again. It's a, it's basically a graphic that I saw up on uh, while watching the game on RDS tonight. So it's courtesy of RDS. So let's bring it up regarding Cole Caulfield. Look at this. Cole Caulfield scores goal number 60 in a Montreal Canadiens uniform tonight. Only four players have done it quicker than him in the history of the Montreal Canadiens. We know the Flower struggled for the first three seasons, Craig, but, I mean, there's a lot of players who have played for the Montreal Canadiens in 100-plus <laughs> years who have been, you know, who know how to score goals. I mean, this has to be one pretty encouraging stat. Look at that. 145 games it took Cole Caulfield to score 60 goals. Only Howie Moran's The Rocket, Jean Beliveau, and Joe Benoit I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly because, unfortunately, I wasn't around when he was playing back in the 40s, so I don't know him. But only four players did it quicker than Cole Caulfield. So he, he, I, I'm going to do the work on this. So I am. I, 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 saw the, uh, I saw it come up during the broadcast. I'm going to do the work. I, I want to know how old those players were when they did it because I'm going to bet they were older than, uh, you know, Jean Beliveau was playing in Quebec with the Aces before he turned bro. You know, Maurice Richard had a, a number of years. I know he scored 50 and 50, and that would have really helped him along the path. But, you know, there, there, there was a time when the Montreal Canadiens were ready to give up on Maurice Richard because of the injuries. You know, Joe, Joe Benoit, like you, I, I don't know. Howie Morenz, I'm going to look at the ages. Cole Caulfield is 22 years of age. 22 years of age. That's what Cole is. Cole <laughs> has been an elite goal scorer from the minute he started playing hockey. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. And, and, and Tony, you know, I, I know in his draft year, I'd watch Cole so much and, and watch them. And, and so there's three things that are essential to being a top-notch goal scorer. Yeah. And the three things are in this order. They're this order. Number one, you have to be able to take tough pucks. What's a tough puck, you might ask me? A tough puck, not every puck is flat. Not every puck is perfect. You got to be able to take tough pucks, be able to get them get them into a position on your stick where you can get the shot off. That's number one. Cole Caulfield excels at that. Number two, you have to now be able to get that puck off your stick with other opponents mm -hmm. trying yeah. to deflect it, block it, get in your way, and 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 that's number two. Then number three, you have to beat the goaltender. You have to be able to beat the goaltender. And those are the three essential qualities of goal scorers. Cole Caulfield has had those qualities, for, like I said, from the time he started scoring. Nowhere, nowhere in those qualities of goal scoring 
does it say you have to be six yeah. foot one? Nowhere does it say you have to be 185 pounds. It, and, and there's lots of big players that don't have those qualities. Cole Caulfield has had those qualities for a long time, and it's no accident that he's doing it at the National Hockey League level. I will. I said it on the broadcast yeah. against the San Jose Sharks. I will never bet against Cole Caulfield because betting against him is a bad bet. So uh, while you were saying this, I did the homework, at least most of it, not all of it. You ready? Cole Caulfield's yep. 22 years old. He turns 23 on the 2nd of January. When Howie Morenz did it, Howie Morenz was 23. Rocket Richard was 23. And Belleville was 24. Caulfield's younger than all those guys. I didn't look up Benoit yet, but I just looked up all those guys in the last minute here. He's younger than Morenz and Belleville and the Rocket. Okay. Okay. So let's just stop for a second. Okay, Tony? Let's just yeah. stop for a second here. Stop. Full stop. Rocket, Lagro Bill, and the Silver Streak. Yeah. Like, we're talking about three of the greatest players that ever played the game. That's where Cole Caulfield finds himself. Just stop on that for a second. Joe Benoit was 26. Okay. So Joe Benoit, who's not in the category of those other three, just that's where Cole Caulfield finds himself in the history of the Montreal Canadiens. So the he's the great youngest. players. It's unbelievable. He's the youngest. Pinch myself. Yeah. I'm pinching myself. Yeah, he is uh, He is the, the youngest to do it. Isn't that something? Caulfield scored oh. um, four goals in his first 10 games in the National Hockey League. Last year in 67 games, he scored 23 goals, uh, or two years ago. Last year, he scored 26 in 46, and this year, he's got seven. In 22. There you have it. 22 years old. You heard it here first on the Sick Podcast. Out of all the players on that graphic, Cole Caulfield is the youngest player in Montreal Canadiens history to score 60 goals. So, so let's, and, and I'm going to, I want to add one thing to that. From the time that Martin St. Louis took over as head coach, Cole Caulfield has been amongst the best goal scorers in the entire National Hockey League. Coaching matters. Understanding what a player needs matters. And yeah. you, you know, you've heard, you, you've heard me say this on the SICK podcast. I think Marty St. Louis is getting better day by day by day. And, you know, after the game in Boston, he wasn't happy. They went three and one. They went three and one. The only game they lost was against the LA Kings, and the LA Kings are a serious Stanley Cup contender. Three and one. Marty St. Louis is like, we're talking, I think Marty's on the track to be uh, like one of the best coaches in the entire National Hockey League. Craig, uh, you have a history with Marty, so you know him better than most. Uh, I know it's going back a long ways when Marty was a player, of course, but you're such a great storyteller. Share a Marty story for us. You have one? Oh, I, 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 I think I have the best Marty story of all time. I think I, I really do. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I do. So I went into Calgary as the general manager. And, and I want to give, like, we, we had 
I had less than 48 hours the way the expansion was working. I couldn't take the job until our team lost in Dallas. We lost in game six, double overtime to the New Jersey Devils in the Stanley Cup final in 2000. So I come up to Calgary and now I'm, I'm, I'm proceeding to do the work. That, that was the deal with me going there. So I'm, I'm meeting with the people that have, that have been part of the organization. L- let me rewind for a second. Bob Ganey always told us that the hardest series to win is the first round series. doesn't matter how good you are. Every team is fresh. If you're a favorite, the team at the, at the, the, that's lower seeded has nothing to lose. So he said, we have to know everything we can about a, a potential first round opponent. So we would go out and spend like a, an inordinate amount of time scouting potential first round opponents. I saw Calgary play about seven, eight times from February 1st to the, they didn't make the playoffs that year, but I'd seen them play quite a bit. So I'll qualify that. Then in, towards the end of April, they approached Dallas, asked for permission to talk to me. Bob laid out the parameters. I was hired, but I could not do anything until our team was eliminated. So I'm just giving you a little bit of background. So I go in and I'm asking, you know, I want to know about some of the players. I had some background, obviously, with the younger players, a, a lot of different uh, evaluations from my own person. But I wanted to hear people that have been with them every day. Tom Watt was the only person in the Calgary Flames organization that said, I think that Marty St. Louis has something that could be special. And, and I remember thinking like, geez, you know, you know, having watched him play and, 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 and seen him play for a lot of years and certainly that stretch, you know, I go, okay, but nobody else, nobody else in the entire Calgary Flames organization, you know, Marty's, you know, they, they, they said, yeah, we don't see where he's at. We had Val Bure, we had Corey Stillman, we had Daniel Kachuk, we had Rico Fada. We, we, we had some smaller players that were, that were regarded to a, to a greater extent than Marty. So we didn't protect him in the uh, expansion draft, and then, he, and then he left as a free agent. Marty, so by the way, for those who are unaware, Craig, who was never drafted in the National Hockey League. Right, but, but we let him go in 2000. So let's fast forward a little bit. So I'll fast forward. He goes to Tampa Bay. And and in and the 01-02 season, it wasn't even the 2001 season. It was the 01-02 season. Marty really starts to take off. Mike Johnson, you can ask Mike Johnson this on your uh, the next time you have him on, because Mike was playing with Marty. And yeah. Marty was getting frustrated that he wasn't being given an opportunity. And Mike Johnson told Marty, go and tell Steve Ludzik, just give me a chance. And Marty went in and marched in and said, give me a chance. Give me a real legitimate chance. And if I can't do it, that's fine. Well, we know what happened from that point on. Well, it went on from that point on. That He broke his leg that year, came back 0203, was fantastic. 0304, yeah, he was the MVP, won the Stanley Cup. And, of course, everybody in Calgary, every Calgary Flames fan thought that there was no dumber person on the planet than me because I let Marty St. Louis go. And, and, and that's okay. That happens. We're at the World Cup. We're at the World Cup in Montreal. So I'm standing there. Marty's on the on Team Canada. That's right before the lockout. And I'm standing there. I'm, I'm with Steve Bejan, Denny Gauthier, J.S. Chiguerre. They'd all come through the Calgary Flames organization. And I'm talking to Marty. We're standing there. And Marty goes, wow, Craig, you really you, – you, you, how could you have known? I'd only scored – I forget, I mean, six goals or seven goals or whatever he'd scored that year. He goes, it's not your fault. I said, you know, Marty – let me take give you a little bit of background. I watched you play in midget AAA in, uh, in, in Laval 
for two years. You were the best player in in, uh, in in that league. Then I watched you play in Hawkesbury in the in the Junior A League. You were the best player there. Then I watched you in Vermont, and you were the best player there for four years. I watched you in the minors, and you were the best player there. And yeah, I know you're saying that, like you know, you only scored six or seven goals in that year in the NHL. But really, Marty, if anybody should have known, it should have been me. Marty looks at me. He slaps me on the back. He says, yeah, you should have known. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? Eh? Isn't that something? Well, I, I watched him from the time he was 15 years old. Like, yeah. like honestly, like player personnel, evaluating, scouting, like, you know, that's my Marty. And I, I love Marty. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think, yeah. you know what I, I think be- back to? Yeah. How about a Marty St. Louis, Craig Conroy, Jerome McGinley top line? Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Now listen. Okay. Listen, I'm, I'm not just I, I, I've lost this. the signal. I'm out of here. I don't hear anything you're saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just saying this to make you feel better, but part of me is. Um, but a very, very small player. He was probably one of the three smallest players in terms of stature in the National Hockey League at that time who was never drafted. And, um, and um, you already had a small team. And back then... Everyone loved the big boys, right? So, you know, I can kind of understand it, Craig. I can kind of understand it. Tom you Watt. Know? Tom Watt thought Tom Tom Watt didn't say to me or to our group, he didn't say, I think that he might be able to have a chance. He said, I think he can be special. Tom Watt was the only person who had spent who'd been in the and, and I've given Tom Watt every credit for, awesome. forever and a day. It, it really is. And and you know what? And and Marty to me has been most gracious, you know. Uh, you know when people you know have, have slagged me, and, and 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 that's your job. Your job is is to yeah. know. And 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 certainly, you know, he he scored the game winning goal in Game Six when the Flames had a chance to win the Stanley Cup on home ice, and then he wins this. Stand- so for Calgary Flames fans, it stings a little bit more. And you you know, like I'm I'm. I'm unabashed in my love for Marty St. Louis as a player, as a person, and now watching him as a coach, I, I like, I, I really do. I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use Tom Watts' words. I, I, I think Marty has a chance to be a special coach. I, I well, really believe that. Well, Craig, here's one of the reasons why I really like you because I asked you for a Marty story, and you could have given me any Marty story. And the one story you gave me um, was that you didn't go with him and you put him on waivers and you lost him. And he goes on to have a Hall of Fame career. And it just goes it just goes to show a lot of humility uh, that you have. So I so I commend you on that. I commend you on that. All right. OK, uh, um, you're very welcome. What a dumb move to let him go. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, just Tony, kidding, just Tony, let me just say this. Do you know what? That's the perfect finish right there. That is yeah. so beautiful. And I thank you for that. Like that is there was no better ending. So let's move on. No, but I but I tell you this. So I like where you're going with this because basically what you're telling everyone is you're not underestimating this guy as a coach. I no mean no chance. You, you, you know. He probably proved you wrong as a player uh, at the National Hockey League level, and you're not gonna you're not gonna bet against them at the National Hockey League level as a coach. 
No, not a, not a chance. Not a, yeah. Like, like I, I feel really fortunate, Tony. You know, I know Marty. I've, I've had an opportunity to talk to Marty over the years. And, you know, long before he became a coach, he, he, he's a thinker. He, he's, he's creative. He's got imagination. But, but, but he, he understands players. He understands the game. He understands trying to instill a, a plan with the group. And I think those are essential qualities for a coach. And whether you've played or you haven't played in the National Hockey League, you need to understand what the players are going through. You need to have a feel for your players. You need to be able to sell them on things that are really important to success. And I, I, we only have to go back to a week ago Saturday on, on, yeah. on the, after that game against Boston. He's, and, and, again, it's another great example of Marty. He didn't say our players are soft. He said – we were soft in important areas of the game. Puck battles, you know, finding space, getting involved in the in the hard parts of the game. And you know, you, you don't have to attack personally to 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 deal with the issues at hand. And and that it to me is is a really strong example of Marty's intelligence, of Marty's touch and feel. Three and one. Three and one. Yeah. Listen, the LA Kings are a top team. Three and one. Three and one since that game. And that, to me, speaks volumes about the belief. Remember, you know, players need that belief in what the coach is selling them and what the coach is trying to do to try to help them be better. I, I don't think there's any question this team ha has a real strong belief in Martin St. Louis as the head coach. So this is uh, one of the things I love about Marty, and then we're going to move on, is that I've never heard a player say a bad thing about him. Like, they all love him. <laughs> and when a player, yep. you know, Craig, when a player has that kind of career and he doesn't have much of a coaching career and he ends up getting the job because his highest level he coached was Pee Wee or Bantam or stuff like that, you know, there, there's, there's, it's, it's pretty easy for players to whisper in your ear. This, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like this guy was a good player, but this guy's an awful coach. Like you can, it, you can get that right because a lot of people are thinking that because he didn't have any experience that he was going to be an awful coach. So you're thinking you might have a player or two. Nobody, nobody. As a matter of fact, Cole Caulfield was on the Ray and Dregs podcast back on the 10th of November, and he said at times. Marty's more of a teacher than he is a coach. I heard Marty tonight after the game, he was starting to sound like a coach. So you're right. Like he's, he's getting better every day. Uh, having said that, and now you're going to laugh again. I think I can't help. <laughs> I can't help but be a little bit frustrated watching this game. Why? Because I have an opinion. And my opinion is, is that you don't accelerate rebuilds. And if you do, it's because let's just say you're probably at the bottom two or three years in a row and you drafted generational players, but usually you don't get that lucky. And of course, with the lottery and everything and all like that, and it, I look at the Canadians group and I think they're missing still one or two first line players going forward in their organization or game breaking players, elite players. And for to get those kind of guys, once again, you need to finish near the bottom and you need to make sure that it's a good draft year. And whether it is or it isn't, though, you got to draft the right guy. So there's a lot of things that have to happen. I look at the Canadians beating Anaheim, which could have gone either way, beating San Jose, which could have gone either way, 
and winning tonight, which also could have gone either way. Armia scores the game winner with less than three minutes to go. And I'm just, my wish for the Canadians is this. Although it's good that they're competitive and will keep everyone engaged, I think there's such a thing as no man's land, and I don't like it. So my question to you is, is it better to finish in the bottom five or to end up finishing in the bottom 12 and just missing out on a playoff spot? Well, a couple things I'm going to say to you. and I want to just go quickly back to, to what you said about Cole Caulfield and talking about Marty St. Louis. Sarah Savard, when I first started as a manager in, in uh, Calgary, we were out, and, and one, one of the things he told me, he said, keep, Craig, always keep this in mind. The players always know, and they always know first. They always know if they're getting good coaching. They always know if they're not getting good coaching. They know they look at their team. They're, they're, they're very, very aware. Don't ever forget that. I think it was great advice that Sayers gave me. Number two, Al Davis said, just win, baby. I don't care if you if a game could go one way or another. The game went in the way of the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, winning is important for development. Now I'm going to get to the crux of your question. And I'm going to ask you this, Tony. I'm, I'm going to ask you this in a back and forth. The Vegas Golden Knights came into the league in 2017. They didn't have the luxury of picking in the top three or the top five. They had to pick in their first selection six. They, they were able to acquire some picks. Uh-huh. You know, Nick Suzuki at 13, Eric Branstrom at 15. and But they kept moving forward. What they were able to do is build up a prospect pool, and, and they looked at their draft picks as, as something that they could be used either their draft players or to use to try to get other players. So you're right. They didn't pick in the top five. Uh-huh. But they were able to do such a magnificent job that they traded for Jack Eichel. They traded, they signed Alex Petrangelo as a free agent, and then they were able to trade for Mark Stone. There's only one way you can do those things. Petrangelo is a little bit different situation because he was a free agent. You trade for Jack Eichel because you have other players that are coveted by the, by the teams, uh, of course. The, by the team that you're looking at. You're able to trade for Mark Stone because you have players that are coveted by other players. The Montreal Canadiens have a deep, deep prospect goal. Deep. Make no mistake about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I've said this before. Not every player that they've drafted is going to play for the Montreal Canadiens. You draft, you get players, you watch how they develop, and then there's going to come a point in time where Kent Hughes is going to have to do exactly what the uh, Vegas Golden Knights did. He's going to have to look and go, we might have to trade three prospects or two prospects and a draft pick to get a Jack Eichel. The, the draft isn't the only place you get these players. In 1995, Joe Newendike said, I'm not going back to the Calgary Flames. He held out. We just happened to have a player by the name of Jerome McGinley that we had drafted. Joe Newendike became instrumental for our success in Dallas. And Jack Eichel has become a, a great two-way player. We know what Petrangelo is. We know what Mark Stone is. It's not just finishing in the bottom five. It's about it's about understanding that when you draft players, we want to draft a certain type of player. We want to draft good players. And then when is the time to strike? When is the time to strike when we can improve our team? You don't have to finish in the bottom five to take advantage of that. And I think the Montreal Canadiens, with a deep, deep, deep prospect pool, 
are going to have that opportunity. Sure. That's yeah. where that's where the rubber hits the road but, for for Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. Okay, so let's have this conversation. All right, I don't think anyone expected the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup six years after they came into the league. Granted, I'll give you that one any day of the week and twice on Sunday. They had one huge advantage. They didn't start off with any terrible contracts. Okay. So you got to work through terrible contracts. Well, you know, sometimes, 1995 think, at Christmas, of 19, we were a terrible team in Dallas. Do you think we wanted to trade Jerome Dillon? We had, we had Darian Hatcher, Richard Mapachek, Jamie Lagenbrunner, Mike Madano, Yeri Lettinen. We had lots of good, and we knew Jerome was a good young player. We, we had to make a decision that if we wanted to take steps forward, we were going to have to do that. Because it was not only that, it was also being able to come back in and, and, and be able to attract free agents. We attracted Pat Verbeek. We attracted Eddie Belfort. We, we, we attracted good players to come into our program because of how we built it. You, you know, the, yeah, the, the, Vegas Gold Knights ran in, the Vegas Gold Knights ran into salary cap complications. They had to they had to maneuver through some through some salary cap complications. You're right, Tony. The, you know there were some some contracts that Kent Hughes inherited. Well, you're going to move along. You're going to move along, and you're going to move along there. I'm not saying that it's tomorrow. You got to move yeah. on this. You don't have to finish in the bottom five to be able no. to take your team to higher levels. So your your point is uh, is proven with Vegas. Uh, and and that's the way the Canadians are probably going to go. But I think if the last 15 to 20 years showed us anything, and this is what I'm getting at, is through the draft has won you a lot more often than what Vegas did, right? So, I mean, Pittsburgh doesn't win their Stanley Cups if they don't get Malkin at two and Marc-Andre Fleury at one and Jordan Stahl at two and win the lottery and get Sidney Crosby at one. The Washington Capitals don't win the cup if they don't get a generational goal scorer in Alex Ovechkin at number one and the guy to set him up for a decade in Nick Backstrom at number four. The Tampa Bay Lightning don't win the cup if they don't get Steven Stamkos at number one and Victor Hedman at number two. And then they go on to have amazing draft picks thereafter, like Vasilevsky in the first round and Nikita Kucherov in the second round. And the list goes on and on. I mean, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks don't win the Stanley Cup if... The years that they're bad, Patrick Kane ends up being number one and Jonathan Taves ends up being number three, right? So, and, and the Boston Bruins won the cup with amazing draft picks like David Krejci and Brad Marchand, Milan Lucic and Patrice Bergeron and a great unrestricted free agent called Zdeno Chara. I, will only t- I, I, I know this for sure. No team in this league can win with just five players. And you, 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 you can look at it. The Tampa Bay Lightning won 62 games with Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Stamkos, and Hedman. They got dusted in four straight yeah. by the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. And Julian Brisebois said, we don't have enough of what we need. They had Yanni Gord. They went and traded. And at the time, they traded Nolan Foote and a first-round pick for Blake Coleman. And people go, what are you doing? They traded a first-round pick for Barkley Grugel. What are you doing? What they what, what they were doing was trying to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they had all those players. Yeah. They had all those players, and and you're right. Like, yeah, you need Ovechkin, you need Backstrom. You're right. You need Crosby and everything. But the Pittsburgh Penguins, like, they had drafted Chris Letang in the third round. The, you know, they, they they had good players, and then they traded for players. They traded for Zygmunt Palfi. They traded for Sergey Goncher. They traded for. Uh, 
Billy Guerin. They traded for players that helped their team be much better. And the St. Louis Blues did it, and the Washington Capitals did it, and the Colorado the Colorado Avalanche were really good. They, 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 but they traded for Josh Manson. They traded for Andrew Cogliano. And no team in this league wins with just five players. And, the, and, and teams have proven that. And I can tell you this, the Buffalo Sabres have been picking high for a decade or, or more. They're yeah. nowhere closer to winning. And it's not just about picking high. It, it all goes together, Tony. That's all yeah. I'm saying. It all goes together. So what I, how I'm answering your question is giving you some examples. Your examples are good, and, 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 and they're certainly important. But also at the same time, there's not just one way that you need to proceed. Finishing in the bottom five affords you opportunities to draft players ostensibly that are going to be at the top end of a draft. But at the same time, it's not the only way to have success. And the Montreal Canadiens with a deep prospect pool are in a good spot. You know what I think? You know what I think the Canadians are trying to copy? You brought up the Vegas Golden Knights and the way they won. I think the Canadians, based on the moves that Kent Hughes has made, going after and acquiring Alex Newhook, acquiring Kirby Doc, acquiring Michael Matheson, um, acquiring Justin Barron, just to name a few. You know what I think they're trying to do? I think they're trying to do what the Colorado Avalanche did. Let me explain. The Avalanche had drafted McKinnon, one, Rantanen, 10, uh, Landeskog, two, Two. Makar, four, Bowen Byram, four. Um, And then there's a bunch of other players that came over from other teams that were also first-round draft picks. Nazem Kadri was a former seven-pick overall. Andre Burakowski was a former 23rd-pick overall. Valerie Nachushkin was a former 10th-pick overall. Eric Johnson was a former number-one pick overall. Anyway, I'll stop here. What I think the Canadians are trying to do is trying to either A, draft, or acquire as many first-round picks as possible because at the end of the day, those are the ones who have the highest probabilities to end up having the best career. doesn't always work out that way, but the highest probability. Does that make sense to you? That's what I think they're trying it to that, do. It, it does. It, it absolutely does. You, you know, I know Devin Taze was a fourth-round draft pick, so yeah. he doesn't qualify as, as a first. But, but you're right. The first-round draft picks have the highest probability. The other thing with first-round draft picks, and, and sometimes the younger players drafted in the first round – are still in development phase, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at and when you look at what Kent Hughes has done, he said, you know what? Like and Chicago was moving in a different direction, but he says, wait a sec, Kirby Doc, third overall pick. Yeah, let's let's trade the seventh pick and let's get him. Michael Matheson, who'd been drafted by Florida, end up in Pittsburgh, didn't seem to working out. Kent Hughes says, oh, I th-. and remember. Kent watched Michael Matheson play a lot at Boston College. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you know Michael's wife was a, was an All American and, and an Olympian playing for Boston College. So yeah. Kent Hughes had a first first Alex Newhook. He represented. He 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 knew my he knew. So you, you're looking at other organizations that might have higher expectations of players at that age, and then Kent goes, "Well, wait a sec. We we don't need these players to." you know, reach their full potential right now at 21 or 22 or 23, we, we can be patient. 
and we're going to give them opportunity. Listen, you bring up Michael Matheson. Yeah. Michael Matheson and Caden Gooley have been beyond fantastic. Beyond fantastic. You know, Jack Guy goes down, and, and, and that's a real blow. You know, yeah. David Savard has been out of the lineup. Jordan Harris out of the lineup. It, it, it has been, you know, when you have to go and, and, and put more minutes on those top players, I mean, I, I'm watching. I just did the three games in California. I'm watching yeah. the Montreal Canadiens, and if I'm, I'm, I'm watching and going, wow, Caden Gooley and Michael Matheson, pillars. Pillar yeah. defenseman. Yeah. That's what I see right now. I mean, Kent Hughes has to have a smile right across his face. Caden Gooley, 24 minutes and 51 seconds today, more oh. than any player in the game. Second was Michael Matheson at 23-17. And here's something that might surprise you. Uh, and now you're probably going to expect, because I'm, I'm saying it's a surprise, but guess who had the third most ice time for the Canadians tonight? Justin Barron. Justin no, Barron. There you go. 22-29 for Justin Barron. So, so you're trying to manage minutes from from your from your other defensemen lower down the lineup. I mean, Gustav Lindstrom scores a goal. I mean, it, it's been fascinating. You know, I, I've watched Gustav for a number of years now. Yeah, and you, you know, I'm I'm watching. I, I know Brian Mudrick and I had this conversation headed into LA after the San Jose games. He said, "Oh, I could see Nordlander going to the lineup." I said, "No, nah, I don't see it. I don't see it because Lindstrom's played that good." Yeah, and you know, yeah. and again, here here he comes back, and I, I you know, I, we're going to go back to Marty Saint Louis. <laughs> you know, Gustav Lindstrom is another player that Kent Hughes acquired. I'm going to go back to Marty Saint Louis. You know, players need to have a sense that they can, uh, have, l- that the coach believes in them. What I'm seeing in Gustav Lindstrom is is that he's going to go out and play. I don't think it's any accident that Jaden Struble enters the lineup in California under some real challenging situation with the injuries and settles in. And, and, and Marty used them, spotted them, didn't get them overwhelmed. That's another example of just game management, game coaching with, with Marty and his players. And, and players need to feel comfortable and, and that there's a confidence in them from their coach. I, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that from Gustav Lindstrom. Hey, I have something for you tonight, and this really surprised me. You know when you end up watching a game, and then you say, hold hold on a second here. I, I, I need to take another look at this. Is this right, what I'm seeing? The Canadians didn't have a power play tonight. Oh, I mean, they didn't have a power is, play. That's okay. That's okay. You know, five-on-five five play. The game is played 80% or more at five-on-five. And if you can be a really good team at five on five, even strength, that's a good thing. You know, you know, I, I, again, think about Gooley, the minutes, think about Matheson, the minutes, think about Barron, the minutes that's without penalty killing minutes or, or sorry, that's without power play minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So the Canadians yeah. had four penalty minutes and Columbus had two. So the Columbus penalty and the Montreal penalty was offset. So it's four on four hockey. And then yeah. Columbus had one power play in the game. They go for, by the way, the Canadians power play, who at one point you and I talked, I think was third worst in the National Hockey League. Then they made their way up to crack the top 15, has now not scored a goal in their last seven games. Yeah, and that and that runs in it. And, you know, me and you talked, Tony, about, and I, I believe that's under the domain of the power play coach, Alex Burroughs. Yeah. I comment on a number of times out on the West Coast in California. I, I, I've seen 
more more flexibility in their power play, their entries. Sometimes they do the drop. Sometimes they carry the puck in. That is giving your players flexibility on the power play. I think like the the numbers early and the numbers zero for seven, but but, but I see an effective power play. I think Alex, you know, I said that you know you got to look at the coach to get better results out of that and mm-hmm. and 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 to have a better and to have a better uh, process in it. I, I I think Alex has done a really good job. I, I I've seen real strong evidence of a power play that's much better than what we saw through the first half dozen of games in the NHL season. You brought up Jaden Struble before. Uh, put you on the spot here. Can Jaden Struble and Arbor Jack guy coexist in the Canadians' top six, considering the abundance of defensemen the Montreal Canadiens have, especially left-handed defensemen within the organization? So, it, 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 you know, fa- fantastic, fantastic discussion. And, you, it, and it's going to go back to this. Can you ha- can, other teams are looking for defensemen in the league. You know, I'm watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm watching the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm going, they don't need one defenseman. They don't need two defensemen. They need three or four defensemen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, you, you talk, you use the word abundance. There is never a problem having too many NHL players. Again, I'm going to go back to what you can do to, to strengthen your team uh, as, as you move forward. When you have good prospects, players that can play for you, you, you can look at opportunities to improve your team in other areas because you have these good players. Arbor and Jaden are different players. Arbor plays with a with an edge that is very unique and not very common among NHL defensemen. He is not I, – I, you brought up Zdeno Chair early. Mm-hmm. I am not going to suggest that Arbor Jacki is Zdeno Chara. But I'm not trading Arbor Jacka. I am not moving that player anywhere because he is unique and there aren't very many players like him. And he strikes fear in opponents. Jaden Struble, and, and, and again, four years at Northeastern, yeah. taking the, the requisite steps to prove his game, to be comfortable, to mature. I'm so impressed with Jaden Struble. I watched Jaden Struble from the time he was in St. Sebastian's, yeah. elite skater. Jump into the attack. I think that he has learned how to use his attributes, really good NHL attributes, to great success. Now, to finish this by answering your question, it's not so much can they coexist on the team. It's that you have, to me, two players, mm-hmm. in, in Struble and Jack Eye, that are NHL quality. Maybe there's another area you can look at. I, I told you, I'm not trading Jack Eye. But maybe Jordan Harris now becomes a, a player you might consider moving along as a Jaden Struble. I mentioned it earlier this evening on television. I think, you know, that Harris might end up being the odd man out because Harris, he's good. But what's his X factor? Now, the gentleman I was working with said, well, he's so smart, that's his X factor. And maybe he's right. But... um you know, Jaden Struble is big. He's strong. We haven't seen him lay out the body or, or, or drop the gloves just yet. Not that he has to, but I think that he's just he's trying to not make any mistakes, not put the team in trouble, not put himself in trouble. I think he's playing very, very smart hockey. 
but yeah, it could, it, you know, who knows? It might end up being Jordan Harris. All right. Um, look. Okay. So let me just finish with that. Yeah. I don't disagree. Like I think Jaden Struble is, is, is an highly intelligent player and he, he's a great skater. I know Jordan Harris is a great skater. I, I, I'm going to finish with this before yeah. we carry forth. Yeah. There's never a problem having too many good quality NHL players. You can you can do things to improve your team in other areas where you may be lacking. Yeah, that's a good. Every manager in the league would have would love to have these types of problems. Yeah, uh, so we're talking about the Canadians defenseman. I know you're very high on them, man. But man, um, Caden Gooley is going to be a very rich man sometimes. So. Oh, 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 like Jake Sanderson got the whatever the big eight million dollar contract. Yeah, yeah. J- j- just get Gooley on the same contract. Uh, he's, he's, he's really good. He's really, really good. Hey, um, I have to ask you, uh, what do you make of this, this whole Corey Perry situation? If there's anything that, um, that you can say that hasn't been said already, I mean, you know, what a disaster. So I'm going to go two places with this. Yeah. Number one, Kyle Davidson you know, he, he knew what he was doing a couple of years ago. He, he was the one that executed the, the Kirby doctrine, right? Like he, they, they, they were very open. They were very transparent in what they were going to do in Chicago. They were trading away players. They were going to go through a rebuild and, and that's what they were going to do. So they, they, they make moves, they, they, they draft players, they get Connor Bedard. And now you bring in Corey Perry, Nick Felino, Taylor Hall, and the idea is is that you're bringing those players in to help your young players to 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 be to be guiding lights and 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 to help those players navigate the early parts of their careers and 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 that's what I that's what I think every general manager in the National Hockey League would do and and that's what Kyle was trying to do and so from Kyle's point of view. You know, you, you're dealing with this situation that comes about with Corey Perry, and and you know that everything he was trying to do was try to help his young players, and and he's going to feel like, oh boy, I let them down. And no, Kyle, you didn't let them down. You know, Corey Perry in this instance, whatever his actions were, he let you down. He let the organization down. It wasn't like you were taking a chance on a player that had had previous. Uh, issues. Corey Perry had had no previous issues that I'm aware of. And, you know, but, but this, this occurred. So that's number one, Kyle Davidson trying to build it. And and, and as a manager, you want to do everything right uh, to help your organization and help your yeah. young players. And, and I know Kyle, you know, feels disappointed, but number two is when you, when you're going to terminate the contract of the player, there's very specific terms about terminating the standard player's contract, you know, and, and Kyle said he violated terms of the standard player's contract and he violated internal organization policies. So those two things combined led to this decision. I don't think that the Chicago Blackhawks in any way, shape or form uh, were, 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 were lacking in terms of, what they were trying to do. There's privacy laws, Tony. You know, I don't know what the internal policies are and internal policies for reporting and 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 how this came to light and then the investigation began. But the process, when the Chicago Blackhawks began the process, you have to let the process play out. 
they did. They, they, they took Corey Perry out of the lineup. And then once the investigation was completed, they said he can no longer be part of our team because of the violations. And that's not an easy decision. And that's not – you have to be really sure that you're on uh, solid ground when you're proceeding in this matter. And when it comes to this – when it comes to that extreme, you, you, you have to believe – that considering the Chicago Blackhawks' history, what had happened previously in the Kyle Beach situation, implementing policies, internal policies, reporting policies, that they have to adhere to them. I know lots of people want to hear the, the sordid details. Bottom line is, you, 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 sometimes you're not, you're not able to, to fully uh, express what the incident was because of privacy laws. He said there was nothing illegal. He said it was a violation of the SBC and of internal policies, and that's what led them to this. And, again, you have to respect that. I know a lot of people have, have said that, oh, they're not being transparent. I think a lot of people in the media have been very quick to, to judge the Chicago Blackhawks. Based on what I have watched and seen, I think the Blackhawks proceeded in a very professional manner, in a very – in a very methodical manner to reach this conclusion. It's unfortunate uh, that, uh, you know, that people might not get the full story or get all the facts, but that's where we lay. That's where we stand. Yeah. And I yeah. think for the Chicago Blackhawks moving forward, I think that, you know, th th they're under a different microscope, Tony. They're under a different spotlight based on the Kyle Beach situation and then the, the latest allegation that came out. Yeah. So, they don't have a they don't have a lot of room. They don't have a lot of margin for error, if any. And I, I and 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 I trust that they're moving forward in this direction with a lot of confidence and more than that, a lot of direction with with respect to what's right and what they're and what they're capable of doing. Craig, uh, wise words from a wise man, and uh, once again, always a pleasure and always an honor. Thanks for doing this, and I look forward to talking to you again next week it's it's only 11 o'clock when well, we got to go to two and then go to the montreal pool room what's happening here time for bed <laughs> okay bon nuit bon nuit craig merci beaucoup there you have it craig button always a pleasure talking to him once again the sick podcast brought to you in part by energy transportation group brought to you in part by, uh, brought to you in part by playground and brought to you in part by La Bit TV. We had big numbers tonight. Special thanks to everyone watching. That was pretty awesome. Thank you very much. If you liked it, like it, share it with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K. Leave us a five-star review on Apple if you're going to be listening. We always very much appreciate that. Once again, Agnello and Sammy are under the weather. We wish them well. I thank Shane Gomo and Master Control for stepping up for Shane Gomo and Master Control. Have a good night, everyone. Canadians win by a score of 4-2. to two. They host the Florida Panthers tomorrow night. I'll be back. Same time, same place, 10 p.m. Joining me tomorrow night, Maxime Lapierre of La Poche Bleue. Let's make it a date. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bonne nuit. Good night, Montreal. I'm Marinaro. That's me. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV.
Embrace your true nature and Playground, your premier gaming destination.